0: Hello everyone, welcome to episode 8 of the Tatami Room. This is your host Martin. This episode is called The Serb and the Hungarian. Let's get started. (laughs) It's another late night over here in Tanegashima uh, but trying to deliver this episode to y'all even though it's a little bit late so I apologize about that. The first thing I want to do is have the stoic quote uh, for the episode which will be by Heraclitus. Um, He is actually not really known for being a stoic but this quote by him is stoic in nature so here goes no man steps in the same river twice, for it's not the same river, and he's not the same man. And, uh, so I, I found this quote, uh, really interesting, um, just thinking about how life progresses, and, uh, you know, even though, you know, a couple years, a couple months, you, you change as well as the things surrounding you, so that was kind of a, a, one that caught my eye. I think, uh, perhaps Marcus Aurelius even mentions it in the meditations but i i know i've heard it in my stoic readings before unfortunately there won't be uh, <laughs> the serbian there won't, there won't be no marco present in this uh, episode i was planning to hit y'all with a special episode where um my friend my good friend marco um Who's Serbian <laughs> would have been my guest but uh, we we sent it a little bit too hard on uh, Saturday night and we were both kind of out of commission on Sunday when it came to recordings and we were doing we we're up to some other stuff and so um, is this me tonight But the summary for today is we'll have a little daily life section where I'll be talking about um, t2 teaching and a little bit of confusion as well as uh, just my uh, adventures that I went on with uh, with Marco. Today I'll have a current events section that um, talks about misinformation, and finally I'll close as always with the stat and word of the week. With that out of the way, let's get started. Alright, welcome back everyone. Let's begin with the daily life section, and uh, first I wanted to talk about T2 teaching and a little bit of confusion that kind of ensued in the the rather uh, short week last week. So last Monday was a holiday, um, and then I took a day off on Friday since uh, Marco came. So it was only a three-day week, but I did get some uh, new teaching experiences. So some of the schools and classes I went to, um, I still had to do introductions, I think it was one time, um, but there was a couple other schools, or there are two schools, I think, where I was already starting to do, uh, T2, or where I was supposed to do, uh, T2, which is just, like, the secondary teaching, what I was hired to do, right, and, uh, so it's kind of, it was kind of a mess, and I think the whole problem is, is that the city hall, the people at the city hall are my bosses, but they don't really convey i don't think they don't really convey their expectation to me and i don't think they convey it very well to the schools and the teachers either they're just kind of like hey here's this alt use him as you see fit and so what that means is my kind of job varies school to school teacher to teacher um even like same school with different teachers is like a big spectrum And the problem is, like, some ALTs only have one school. So you can kind of get adjusted to that. I have 11 schools that I'm rotating between. So every, each day, each class is just like something completely new (laughs) being thrown at me. So I'm hoping that I can kind of pick up the, you know, pick up what they're putting down sooner rather than later. But there is even, like, one school where I went to where one of the teachers, basically, they didn't really... No, they just were kind of like okay here look at the textbook and run the class i'm like i haven't even i've never seen this lesson before i mean like i've heard of it kind of looked it over but i don't know how to use like the tablet and like the online activities that are embedded within in the little tablet they're using i don't know any of that so i'm just kind of winging it um i end up doing a fine job but not really following (laughs) kind of (laughs) went off track a little bit not didn't follow the textbook entirely um meanwhile other teachers they have a lot better idea of like okay I've already they've already done the lesson before I'm assuming and so they're like okay well this is where I can bring in the ALT where there's like a pronunciation part um or something like that they have a better idea of how to utilize me and so yeah but it's just kind of a (laughs) it's a little bit of a mess I do think that the the hierarchy um has something to do with it but yeah i'm just i'm hoping that i can find like a pattern in some of the schools that i can just kind of pick out because um, it's a little bit it's a little bit stressful kind of going in and being like okay what is this teacher like do i remember what do they kind of know how do how are they gonna um handle me in the classroom versus another teacher so we'll see about that moving forward but overall a fun week and since it was short i, I didn't feel as tired as I did the first few weeks Um, maybe it was also because there at least some classes where I was kind of like an assistant and not the primary teacher In any case I want to move on to talking about my time with my good friend Marco Uh, Marco and I have been friends since um, early high school and uh, he ended up coming out to visit me out here um, much like my friend Nate last week shout out to both of them you know coming here from Tokyo is about as expensive as going from Tokyo to Bali, so you know most m- most of the time people choose Bali over Tanegashima, but um, you know they 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 chose Tanegashima. So um, yeah, big shout out. The f- the first day Marco was here, we ended up going on this big Tanegashima tour. Um, I I ended up kind of just giving him the same tour that my uh, m- my friend gave me when I got to the island. We headed down, just kind of drove down the coastline, very scenic, just chilled out some random beaches. Um, what What is crazy is like these are the kinds of beaches you'll see in Hawaii, right? But there's crowds of people everywhere and, and in Tanagashima you'll see maybe one or two people or, or no one, you'll have the entire beach to yourself and uh so it's just kind of a, a bizarre uh feeling but but a good a good feeling for sure. I mean we can just kinda do whatever we want, climb some rocks and whatnot, um, took some cool photos as well. We also went down to uh Chikura Caves. Um I'd visited that before, uh, but we kinda got to explore a little bit more in depth, you know, walked around the beach. Um we found this like kinda abandoned trail. It was a little sketchy, but we just like we just sent it. We we went up and it was kind of cool. We ended up seeing these um, pretty big crabs. Um, I you I only see those in the supermarket, you know, cooled and frozen or something like that, or served on a silver platter, um, never alive. So it was kind of kind of fun to see them um, just kind of scuttling about. Um, yeah, the the trail was uh, definitely a little suspicious. We were slipping all over the place because it was pretty muddy um yeah but we but we made it out we made it out all right so it was it was fun we also um went down to the elephant rock that is pretty famous here went to this pink hotel that is pretty iconic um i <laughs> i might, i have a feeling that there's some money laundering going on over there just because it's a massive hotel and like, I mean, the JAXA, the space agency for Japan is pretty close by, but Tanegashima does not get many tourists. So I'm like, how are, how are you renting out the entire thing? Um, I think my friend was saying that you can get some sort of like tax break with it. But maybe I'll do that for like a next current event section or some current event section sometime in the future. But it was it was a lot of fun. Uh, the next day we ended up visiting uh teppokan which is the gun museum and gesote which is kind of this cultural house so tanagashima is uh famous for its guns um they were brought over from portugal in around um 1500s i believe uh and recently there's the 480 year anniversary of the first gun uh, that came to Japan, which, you know, it came to Tanagashima. Um, some of y'all might recall, and I think it was episode two, two or three, I did an episode, I think it was three, and the second one was about the typhoon, but the third episode, I had a bit about um, teppu matsuri, and that kind of big summer festival is all about, um, well, basically celebrating that, that connection with Portugal, or at least just celebrating Tanegashima history, Nishinomote history, um, with you know the first guns um, entering uh, Japan through Tanegashima, uh, because some Portuguese traders kind of uh, arrived at import. I think what was interesting I found out the museum was that the first um, guns in Japan were actually just called Tanegashima, um, just because they, they were from there um and so that's kind of interesting that a whole like you know now obviously they're called they're called something different but for a while they were known as just Tanegashima or Tane or something like that if I recall correctly the museum was really interesting but um again it was it was similar to the Kumamoto Joe Kumamoto castle experience where I uh a lot of it was written in Japanese and there was a lot of videos which kind of helped. I tried my best translating for Marco. I don't know how good a job I did, how much uh, he couldn't already get from context, but <laughs> I I tried. But it was a it was a fun time. Gesote was this cultural house which is part of um, Tanagashima Castle called uh, Akaogiju. And you might have noticed that I haven't really talked about Kumamoto, not Kumamoto Castle, I talked about that last week. But Akaogi um, Castle, which is in, right here in Nishinomote, it's because it's not really a castle, it's just kind of this central area of Nishinomote. They didn't really need a castle, like a um, what you would think of as a castle, you know, pointy towers and high walls kind of thing on the island. So their kind of castle was just kind of a, a central area. Um, you know, there's not really any big walls or ramparts or any of this, any of that. Um, in any case, the cultural house was really interesting. We tried archery. Um, I, I tried with, (laughs) it was a right-handed bow and I sat down trying to shoot with my left hand because I'm left-handed. That did not work out or, well, they warned me beforehand. Um, I actually ended up hitting a bullseye, uh, and, uh, beat Marco, which is kind of nice because... He's an Eagle Scout, so I kind of got to flex that over him. And we also got to try the uh, annoimo uh, sweet potato that Tanagashima is famous for. Finally, I think the highlight, I would say, my highlight um, was discovering or going to the onsen here in uh, Nishinomote with Marco. I hadn't been to uh, the onsen uh, prior um, to this week or last week. And uh, we just decided to give it a go one day and <laughs> we entered like complete foreigners with our uh, pants on and then halfway through we realized we were not supposed to be doing that. So we just we just said screw it and uh, went ahead and tried to immerse ourselves in the, the local way of doing things. Um, of course no one said anything when we came in with our pants on because um, that's not really h- how you operate around here. But... Uh it was great. Um there's a really interesting part of the onsen where they had this like electric bath. Um Marco and I were kind of joking around that if that if if that malfunctioned the entire like um anyone chilling in the onsen would just kind of uh pass away. I think it was, uh, I don't know, I think there's definitely a safe way of doing it, and that's how they were doing it. But there's these little, like, electric shocks that came through the water in a specific area. And if you put your hand there, you could kind of, like, it tensed up your muscles or whatnot, or it just ran electricity through them. And I've been to an onsen before, but I'd never done, like, the electricity thing, so I thought that was really interesting. Um, I'm not sure if it's my cup of tea, but um it was a it was a good experience nonetheless and uh getting some sauna time was also pretty nice so yeah that was uh that was kind of it for the week let's move on to a current event section uh, about misinformation coming up Alright, welcome back everyone. Let's get started with the current events section, which will be on misinformation or combating misinformation. So this section was inspired by a comment that Marco made while we were talking about um, why he did not want to go to a talk about combating misinformation. So he he succinctly summed it up by saying, The best way to avoid or combat misinformation is with your prefrontal cortex. (laughs) So that got me thinking okay, is this actually true, or uh, let me do some research about misinformation. I think it's a kind of an interesting topic. Now, it also reminded me that I did a science project in high school, um, received an honorable mention for it at the science fair, uh, but it was about astroturfing, which is a uh, phenomenon where kind of big companies create... Um, fake grassroots organizations in order to sway public support so even though the organization appears to be like a grassroots organization and uh, kind of uh deceives people into thinking that it's a grassroots cause it's actually just all being kind of orchestrated by a a bigger bigger company Um, but enough of that uh, around the mid 2010s so i guess around the same time i was in high school people started to be aware of the kind of misinformation problem because around that time like 2017 uh 50 of people use social media for some type of news already and i'm assuming that that figure has kind of well, it's only increased and i would say that that figure is probably at 75 percent right now that being a conservative estimate also by that point mid-2010s trust in media was also well, had been falling for a while But it kind of reached a record low in 2016 at 32%. 32% is the end of the data set that I was looking at. Um, So it probably just, it's kept on falling. Uh, (laughs) At least uh, that's what I would suspect, given kind of the current uh, political climate in the U.S. So fast forward to now, companies um, are trying to combat this. Uh, Politicians are trying to combat this. Some companies like Reuters are creating their own misinformation combating departments. On the other hand, the Biden administration recently announced its plans to tackle misinformation for the 2024 election. So in 2020, if you all remember, a lot of news and uh, news sites, websites, cracked down on misinformation about Uh, COVID, the COVID vaccine, uh, the election, um, among other things. But by 2023, this trend has been kind of, uh, it's been reversed, to say the least. Um, Basically, a bunch of lawsuits um, arguing that such uh, kind of crackdowns are impinging upon the First Amendment, as well as uh, kind of the leadership of uh, Twitter, or (laughs) X as it is now called, um, have pushed uh, this trend back into the other direction. So more recently, um, social media companies and news sites have taken a more laissez-faire approach to what can be posted on their platforms, and so that's kind of left the um, Biden administration an interesting uh, situation. Like, what do you do? You can't, you know, call out social media companies to, you know, take down uh, that kind of information. Um, where it's not possible for them to do so. So what are you going to do about it? And so what Biden um, has done or has announced is that he's going to do what I'm calling a sort of drown them out approach where he's going to have a, a massive media team that will you know, basically flood the, um, the internet with paid advertisements that are kind of protecting or count, trying to counter um, the false advertisements that are out there. So I'm not sure which approach is better, whether it's kind of the regulation approach um, that sort of uh, can violate the First Amendment at times, or is this like can't beat them, uh, join them. If there's going to be fake information out there, then you know we'll flood the market with information that kind of protects us from the fake information. I think that's just kind of a zero-sum game where it just means that politicians need even more money to finance their campaign. I don't know um i'll leave you all to kind of make a verdict on that Uh, i got two things uh, i wanted to share to kind of end the episode um so i only read the abstract for this paper because it was behind a paywall but it was recently published in nature about just evaluating misinformation um in kind of it was a very big study a very big study and what they found was that analytic, cognitive style, and stronger accuracy-related motivations um, basically increase one's ability to um, detect misinformation and, I guess, in, the, in a sense, counteract it. Whereas, sort of endorsement of individual responsibility over government support um, went in the opposite direction. It meant that an individual was less capable at determining what information was, was false. Um, and what which ones were true um, And I think <laughs> endorsement of individual responsibility over government support is just kind of a fancy way of saying like kind of not having uh, trust in the government and uh, Basically, uh, <laughs> so sort of being more conservative. I guess. I don't know um, valuing your one's own judgment and heeding the government less so but if you were analytical in your thinking uh, then uh, then you have a better chance of detecting fake news. So good for you. Um, I think these kind of lend credence to uh, Marco's suggestion earlier that <laughs> the prefrontal cortex is the best way to deal with misinformation. You know, if, if you have a, you know, analytic style, then uh, you're good to go. And finally, I also wanted to share that um, perhaps unsurprisingly, X ranked the lowest among... Uh, Social media websites surveyed um, about handling misinformation. Um, yeah, I think uh, after Elon Musk took over uh, Twitter or X, its kind of uh, its policies regarding misinformation haven't been uh, very scrutinous. But um, he's not an outlier, or X is not an outlier because other uh, social media weren't far behind. Um, so it's uh, not not the best uh, or not the most truthful uh, climate social media climate that we are in right now all right um with that let's cut to the outro all right welcome back everyone to the closing section thank you all for making it this far into the episode let's uh let's do the word in the stat of the week i'm going to start with the word of the week which is Yoyak suru or yoyaku which means reservation this is what you would use in Japan if you wanted to kinda make a reservation at a restaurant um, you or youoyakusuru um, that's the word for reservation um now the stat of the week uh, is 200 yen per liter which is the gas money that I am paying here in uh, Tanagashima um, so by current exchange rates 200 yen per liter is about would be a dollar 33 ish per liter um and uh if we're looking at like one liter being uh or four liters being a gallon it mean that my one gallon of gas is like five dollars 20 cents um give or take um so it's it's not not very cheap luckily my car is uh I think it's pretty fuel efficient and i don't have to travel too long of distances but um yeah i think that's interesting that the the gas money here is uh i i thought it would be cheaper but i guess it's an island and uh yeah i guess gas has been more expensive as of late but that's your word and your stat of the week word being yoyaku and your stat being 200 yen per liter. Again, thank you all for coming back and listening to episode 8 of the Tatami Room, the Serb, and the Hungarian. I hope you all have had a great week, and I hope you will have a great week this week <laughs> or next week. Um, peace and love.